Hello, and thanks for joining episode four of Your Body Advocate, the podcast dedicated to your body's side of the story. And today, we're going to talk about the difference between how your body sees the world and how your mind sees the world, and the different events that they see in absolutely different ways. Let's take a deep breath to relax. Ready? All right. Here we go. You're listening to Your Body Advocate, telling your body's side of the story. The podcast dedicated to supporting and improving your body-mind connection so you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life, dissolving one body tension at a time. Discover the healing properties of your own body language, and together, let's explore ways to support and improve essential self-talk. Now, here's your host, Master of Encouragement and Body-Mind Life Coach, Ruth Cummings. Hello, and thanks for joining episode four of Your Body Advocate. I'm Ruth Cummings. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm a massage therapist, and I have some ideas today about how our mind and our body see our world differently. And our mind story of the same exact thing in our life, something that's happened in our life, is very different from how our body sees it. So I want to give you some examples so you can look and see how your body is a temple. So if we separate what our mind sees, what our body sees, what our spirit sees, they have different points of view of the same exact things that have happened to us. And not only our body or our mind, but also our spirit or our soul or our highest self. There's different ways we all look at that. And so I just wanted to go through some of these theories of how we see things and how our body reacts to it and how our mind thinks our body is reacting to it. And then how that can can affect how you heal or how you don't heal. So here we go. So the first example I wanted to use between how your body sees a situation and how your mind sees a situation, if we separate those two points of view from the same uh, event in your life, let's look first at a death in your family. Let's look at your father passing away. Your father passes away, and let's say that it was an illness, and so you had time to contemplate his passing, and you had time to prepare you knew it was coming, it wasn't like a car accident or something sudden, because that's different. If you have time to prepare, it does make it a little different for your body and your mind to deal with. So you go through the grief, the steps of grief. Sometimes you might see a counselor, sometimes you don't. Maybe you talk with someone, maybe you don't. But after, say, several months, let's say six months, you feel like you're over it. You say, yeah, I'm good, I've processed this whole thing and I'm fine. And so that statement is coming from your mind. So your thoughts feel like you have gotten over the death of your father, but your right shoulder starts to hurt. And it's hurt throughout your lifetime, a little bit, but now it really hurts. And it won't allow you to exercise, to do the things you want. You can't really throw, you can't do a pull-up, you can't really do push-ups all the way. These types of things are stopped. This is a possible example of how your body is dealing with the death of your father and how your body doesn't feel like it is processed yet and is asking for some support from you to look at this a little deeper. 
In order for you to recognize that these are related, it really does take some mindfulness and some meditation or just sitting with yourself and recognizing where the feeling lands. So when you think about the loss of your father, the pain of that, the sadness about that, if you can trace that to the pain in your shoulder or to like your shoulder feeling tense or tight, that's the way to unravel this thought process or to create the puzzle piece to put the two together. You could argue that you just hurt your shoulder at a workout or at a softball game and that's why it's hurting and has nothing to do with your father's passing. And that's very possible. Not everything, certainly, is psychosomatic. But here's the difference, is because your shoulder pain won't go away. That's when you know that maybe tracing it back to something more than just physical could be the puzzle, the solution, to making your shoulder pain go away permanently. So some of the examples in a massage office, in my office, are when someone comes in and they tell me about an injury at the gym, they were doing bench press and they haven't been able to lift their shoulder above their head since then. And that's great, if that's the injury, right? If that's clearly the injury, then really after about three massages probably, some stretching, some foam rolling on the lats and under the arm and working on your pec and working on your neck and you know your shoulder in general, then you're able to regain your range of motion and boom, you're back to normal, back to the gym, back to tennis, back to throwing, whatever it was that you couldn't do. But after three sessions, working on your shoulder, you're doing your homework, even if you're not doing your homework, so you're not doing your stretches, but you're still getting regular massage or you're getting some chiropractic work on it or some acupuncture, and your shoulder will not get better, right? It just keeps staying in the stagnant, lack of healing space. This is when looking at a different way might really help you. And this is the difference between how your mind sees your event and how your body sees your event. Your body holds things longer. Your body doesn't process things as fast as your mind does. And so it could be the grief from losing your father just needs to process its way out of your body. Now there's different ways to do that. And I have a free ebook on my website, ruthcummings.com, you can go grab, and it's 19 effective ideas of getting emotional pain out of your body. And most of these you've heard of. Most of these all of us have heard of, but we don't do them. And I also try to just mention these in a way to use intentionally to get emotional pain out of your body. So for example, we take showers every day. But if you take a hot shower specifically to get your shoulder pain to feel better, then you know you have the water hit your shoulder a little bit longer. And you use some maybe some special soap or you massage that part of your shoulder for a little bit longer with the water. And you take that hot shower with your shoulder in mind and try to relieve that pain intentionally. 
And so that's one of the 19, right? There's all of these. Like when you journal, journal specifically to get the shoulder pain out of your body. If it's not the death of your father that's bothering your shoulder, then scan, then listen to the rest of your body might be trying to tell you. It probably has been trying to tell you. And if you can learn to listen, it's amazing. It's like learning a second language. If you grow up in a household where you speak two languages, and at first learning the second language feels out of place and you know difficult and challenging, but all of a sudden, it's almost like overnight, especially when you're a child, it becomes second nature and you can speak it and understand it with ease and you almost dream every time in one language or the other. It's the same type of language where you learn it from your body and then you'll know it for the rest of your life, hopefully, unless you block yourself again, as we do from becoming a child to an adult. All right, let's take a little break. I'll be right back. You're listening to Your Body Advocate, telling your body's side of the story. To find your free ebook and more information about working with Ruth, go to ruthcummings.com. Now back to the show with your host, Ruth Cummings. Okay, back from the break. So the difference between how our mind sees the world and our body and how our body sees the world and our body and the things that happen, it's interesting because as a teenager, for example, say one of our teens is going in to do a personal, I mean, speaking in front of a crowd, right? They're going to speak, do a report in front of their class and they're nervous and they actually throw up and they are sweating and they are just a mess, right? They're really, really nervous and not able to function like normal. And so, you know, what do we do? We tell them to, you know, get stronger and to ignore those feelings in their body. And for sure, there's different parts of our life where we need to be stronger and we need to be able to face those things and deal with it differently than throwing up or having sweat all over your body, your palms, right? Or, you know, possibly passing out and those different ways of responding to the world. But we also, in that moment, there's a fine line, right? Between teaching what we really need to recognize as young and immature and not really understanding your power yet and those types of things. And there's a difference between that and cutting it off completely. And, you know, a soldier, for example, needs to cut it off completely. They cannot go into a scary situation and pass out, or they can't go into a scary situation and not be at their best. So there's also times in our lives where we can't be, I mean, like that. What does it mean to cut it off completely? What do I mean by that? That is, I'm I'm pretty sure you understand, but you completely cut off what your fear is telling you, what your body is telling you, and you focus on the what you need to accomplish. And there are several times in our lives when we need to do that. Like if you're about to propose a marriage to your girlfriend and you're panicking to pull it together, you know, get down on your knee and do the your plan of, of proposing to her, that is pulling it together and that's that's appropriate. 
So if we compare, like, what we tell our child who's going into that situation, because I know a lot of adults who would have the sweating and possibly be passing out in front of a crowd, you know, even in late adulthood. But what I want to point out is how we respond to our son or daughter teen about to give a presentation and is panicking. And so what we tell them and what we teach them is really important. But my point is, how do we teach our teen to go into the situation of making a presentation without having all these responses in their body and then maybe not doing it, you know, and getting an F on their project? So how much of what we teach our teens is based on our own fear? And so, like, if we don't want to speak in front of a crowd, then we understand that they don't want to. And so we pass on our own fears and our own bodily dysfunction to our teens, and then it goes on generation to generation. So you compare that to, you know, maybe a soldier or a policeman who goes into a situation and has to be, like, cut off from their fear so that they can not get killed. So we want to be somewhere in between, right? That's the whole point is to be balanced in between not throwing up before a presentation and not cutting off everything that we feel from our body. We don't have to be a soldier or police officer to cut off what we feel from our body. A lot of us do that. And we don't have to be a teenager to get scared in front of social or fearful situations. So my point is, as your body advocate, to see if you can recognize what it is your body does when you walk into situations that make you feel uncomfortable. And there's a difference between being uncomfortable for giving a presentation that you need to do for a class and walking into a situation where you have that same sick feeling, but it's because there's somebody who you're meeting or someone that is in front of you that you know could put you in danger. And so when we mix those two, then we stop trusting that. And that's what I would like to be here as your body advocate to say, hey, let's listen to these and separate and be able to tell the difference to discern with, you know, logic and calm what is right, what is wrong, what is what feels good, what feels bad, what's dangerous and what's not dangerous but feels dangerous. And that's what will create more passion in your life. That's what will create more success in your life is when you can separate when it's actual fear for real, like you should run, and fear like my gut is scared because I gave a presentation and threw up once. And you remember that and so your body hasn't gotten over that and remembers that as real, as true, as like danger, danger, when it's actually just a feeling of something you went through in your life that was a momentary. And this is where our body can turn things into much more serious than it actually is. And sometimes our mind does the same thing. It makes it much more serious than it actually is. And we just want to come into balance, right? We want to come into balance where something that happened during a presentation in high school where you felt like you were going to die or you were going to be killed because of the fear. And in actuality, you gave an excellent presentation or you didn't. Either way, that memory in your body says this type of feeling, not the activity outside of your, of your life, but the feeling inside your body is very dangerous. And so it avoids that. On the other hand, when you are in danger and you should be running and you've learned not to, 
then you put yourself in danger and you could be, you know, hurt or maybe abducted or raped or who knows. How your body sees the situation and how your mind sees the situation are different. And so if we can bring those two together, that's my point in this podcast. Because here's, a, here's an example in my massage office. Someone comes in and I'm doing a massage. They have severe neck pain, severe back pain. And I'm working on him. And I recognize that every time my hand comes towards the side of his body, on his back, like on the side of his rib cage, he pushes it away with his other hand. He pushes it away. It's just an involuntary, you know, push. Like I get my hand there and he just pushes it out of the way. We're in the middle of a conversation and he just pushes it away. So it's really interesting. I kind of test the theory and I'm laughing to myself, you know, like he's so involved in our conversation that he's not realizing what his hand is doing. And so we get to the point where I'm saying, well, I want you to recognize how your hand is pushing this. And it turns out he's had a surgery, a gallbladder surgery, and no one, this is what he told me, no one has touched that area since the surgery. I was like, okay, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it can be scary and be painful. So, you know, when was the surgery? Um, 25 years ago. What? So 25 years ago, no one's touched that area. And so this is when there's illogical ways of responding to our world, right, in both physical and mental ways. And so this was a physical and mental way of saying, I don't want anybody near this um, because this surgery was really painful. And maybe not even painful, but it meant a lot. It was very scary. It was brought up a lot of feelings for this person, possibly that he was going to die or, you know, I'm not sure. We didn't get into that. But my point is that that's too long for a body part not to be touched. And truly, the scar tissue around that area was so, so tight. And of course, it was pulling on his back and pulling on his neck. And so now we're going to be working on that. And we didn't know that before, right? He's coming in for neck pain. He's coming in for back pain. So us as practitioners, we're all working on his neck. We're all working on his back. But where this is, where the fascia is so tight and is in the front from that area that he hasn't allowed to be touched for 25 years. And this is an example of when the body just pushes away anything instead of the mind doing it. So here I am, I'm trying to touch it, and his body just pushes it away. And it's not the mind saying, I don't hurt there. It's the body just absolutely moving his life away from that area. And so that's my point today is like the difference between how our body sees the world and how our mind sees the world. And if we could listen to our body language and what it's trying to tell us and then look deeper and try to heal those areas that really want some attention, then we can heal the deeper pains and we can really be more successful because you can see that your fears that you're having might remind you of something long ago in your past or something that wasn't real, that just felt real. And so to discern and to make the distinction between what is really needing our attention as scary and very dangerous and what just feels dangerous, but we need to pursue it anyway in order to be successful. So thank you for listening today. There's so much more to talk about on this subject. And we will get to it very soon on our next podcasts. And I will be back with you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to Your Body Advocate with Ruth Cummings. We're so glad you've joined us today and truly believe you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life. To connect with Ruth, work with Ruth, or to grab your free ebook, go to ruthcummings.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Until next time, friends, be open, include the unincluded, think outside the box, and spread love and kindness one smile at a time.